Hey y'all, welcome to the Living Worship Podcast with Cameron Diamond um, here at Jonesville Baptist Church in Newberry, Florida. Uh, so thanks again for being here with me this week. Um, we are getting into what it is that um, I teach in youth group uh, every Wednesday night, and I'm just uh, supplying this online for my students um, so they can keep up even on the weeks where they are not here, and um, for edification of other people as well who just want to listen in, um, see what's going on, um, get some good biblical exposition. So here it is. We are doing a study in Matthew. Um, as it is, last week we were in Matthew 15. And then this week we're talking about um, really the confusion of the disciples as to what Jesus really came here to do. Uh, So we're in Matthew chapter 16. We're actually not going to take on the entire uh, chapter. We're going to highlight verses 13 through 28. Um, And that's just because um, some of the themes in this chapter are kind of repeated, things that we've already talked about. um, And they're kind of all over the place. Um, So um, we're going to take it just a little bit at a time. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So at this point, Jesus has um, done miracles in all sorts of ways. He's been teaching his parables. And so people all over the place, not just in Israel, but even in the surrounding territories, uh, people were suggesting that Jesus was a prophet sent from God. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. But it's not the whole truth with a capital T, right? We know that today. And so he's asking his disciples, he wants to know, really, so this is what everyone else believes about me. What do you think? What do you believe? Well, Peter had an answer for this question, that Jesus was Christ, the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus says that anyone who confesses this truth has built their life on a solid foundation. But then notice that last sentence, he gave them orders to tell no one. Why is that? (laughs) If they really have the right answer, why can't they tell people? Well, for one, it's not time. It's not time for him to be revealed as the Messiah. Um, Also, the people who um, would hear that and do something with it, right? They're all thinking that the Messiah is going to be this conquering hero uh, for the Jews. And that's not the case, right? He's there to be a suffering servant, as it says in Isaiah. And also, the disciples don't have a full picture of what the Messiah is supposed to do yet. They really don't get it till after Jesus comes back from the dead. So let's keep reading. Verse 21. It says, From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. 
Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will reward each according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus gives them the whole story ahead of time. Right? He, he, he lays it out for them, details and all. He says he's going to die soon at the hands of the religious leaders, and then he's going to come back from the dead. And Peter, the same person that uh, had proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, Jesus is now calling him Satan. You see, he still doesn't really get it. He has an inadequate understanding of the mission of Jesus in the first century. He's tempting Jesus with his words to shortcut past the cross. Notice, this has already happened to Jesus. Satan himself tempted Jesus with this very thing back in Matthew chapter 4, when he took Jesus to the highest place and said, if you will just bow down before me, I will give you all of this. Therefore, the temptation is you don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. You can rule without the death, without the torture, without the execution. And so Jesus equates Peter in this instance with Satan because Satan's using Peter to tempt Jesus to do something um, that's outside of the will of God. See, if Jesus never went to the cross, then there is no atonement or forgiveness of sins. That was necessary. We needed that. And Jesus, God, loved us so much that he decided it was worth it to put his human life on the line and die a horrible death after he has lived a perfect sinless life so that we could be forgiven and with God for all of eternity. That's amazing. And so then he follows it up with this by saying, we must deny ourselves and pick up our crosses like him. We have to lay ourselves aside. Last night we had our uh, night of worship here at Jonesville Baptist Church. We uh, don't normally have a Sunday night service, but our youth band was able to get up and, and lead just a whole service full of music. And so, of course, we shared a little bit of scripture right there in the middle. And the scripture that I shared was from Romans 12. And you probably know this if you've been in church for any length of time. Romans 12, 1, 2, and 3. You know, and it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. But look closely at that first verse. It says, Sacrifice yourself, for this is the true act of worship. You have to be laying yourself aside, sacrificing yourself. You have to be last. The things that you want, the things that make you happy, the things, even good things, right? It has to be a God first, other people next, and then you last kind of situation. That's the kind of life that we are supposed to live. That's all tied up into this 
here where Jesus says, deny yourself and pick up your cross. Your life can't be a first and foremost about you. You have to live in service to Jesus and to the other people in your life. And the number one way you can serve people is by being a light for Jesus. It's by uh, pointing people to the truth with your questions, with how you carry yourself, with how you talk about Jesus. That is your intended purpose when you are in Christ. And there is no point in living outside of God's design. There's no point living outside of that intended purpose. So, when I talked to the youth about this chapter, I gave them these questions. And I'm going to leave you with these questions too. And I want you to really think about these this week. Who do your friends say that Jesus is? When I say your friends, I mean also your co-workers. You know, anyone that's around you in your life. Do you actually know what they think about Jesus? Or are you avoiding the conversation? What about your family? What does your family say about Jesus? What is their attitude about him? And then what about you? Where are you with Jesus? Specifically, I want you to be thinking about this. Is it enough to say that Jesus is God or is there more to it? And this one's going to be a freebie. There's more to it. The Bible says that even the demons believe that there is a God. I mean, they've met God. They know him. So obviously there's more to it. The other side of belief has to be commitment. So whenever you see in the Bible, you must believe in the Son of God. And those kinds of sentences understand that that is supposed to be understood as a verb. right? It is commitment. It is, I'm all in. And if you're all in, right, and belief is a verb, all right, how does your belief about Jesus affect your life? And if it doesn't, is that real belief? Consider those things this week. Since I gave this message to the youth, we have had a Wednesday night since then. And we did a uh, apologetics kind of study. It was more of a discussion that I was trying to lead um, on the topic of evil. So parents out there, if you're listening, go ahead and talk with your students about this. If you haven't already, um, see what they got out of it. See about all the answers that they were able to give and the understandings that they were able to get. Um, But for everyone else out there who may not be closely tied to Jonesville Baptist Church right now, that's listening in, this idea of evil, why is there evil in the world if God is so good? It's a question that a lot of um, people who are outside of Christianity, they really wrestle with it. It might be one of their main objections because they just don't understand it. But the main way that we can kind of reason this out is that if we recognize that evil exists, that means that we must have an understanding of what good is, and not just any kind of good, but perfect good. We must have an idea of what the standard is, should be. And if there is a standard, someone should has to set that standard up. It has to be 
true across all cultures. And, of course, it is. Romans 1 tells us that God's natural law was written on our hearts. The way I explained it in Sunday school yesterday also is that we believe in cause and effect. For most people, it's like, duh, yeah. Something has to cause something else to happen, right? So if there was an effect, right, there has to be a cause to this creation, to this universe. And that cause would have to have existed outside of reality. That applies to evil as well. This perfect God created us, creation, in perfection. And he came down and even after we rebelled, gave himself up so we could be reconciled to him in that perfection. So the evil could be gone for good. Well, thanks again for joining me this week. Appreciate you um, tuning in and we'll talk next week.